everybody, welcome to Howlcast, where we discuss critical threats to hunting and conservation, along with advocacy opportunities where your voice can steer regulatory decisions in your favor. In this episode, we talk about the importance of something called the 4D rule and how your support of the 4D rule connected to an Endangered Species Act listing of the wolverine is critical to big game hunting, trapping, and numerous forms of public lands use and access. We'll also learn more about the weaponization of the Endangered Species Act against hunting, trapping, and public lands use. If you're new to Howl, I encourage you to check out howlforwildlife.org, become a member, check out the Action Center, where we make grassroots advocacy fast and effective. Howl was created to protect and promote hunting rights here in North America. In doing so, Howl is protecting and promoting conservation systems that ultimately benefit numerous species of wildlife and enable hunters to continue pursuing and harvesting wildlife from land and water. This year, 2024, hunting, conservation, and wildlife populations are threatened by attacks coming from the anti-hunting industry. Howl is here to enable you and hundreds of thousands of other hunters and anglers to become citizen advocates. In this episode, we talked to Jeff Dara, Jason Wisniewski, and Matt Lumley. Collectively, these three men are leaders for the Fur Takers of America, the Outdoor Heritage Coalition, the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, the Montana Trappers Association, and the National Trappers Association. Listen in. You're going to learn a lot. Please go to the website, healthforwildlife.org, and take action to support this 4D rule as it relates to the wolverine listing as an endangered species. Wow. Um, since we've got a few minutes, um, yeah. Jeff, Jason, good to meet you. My name is Mike Costello. I'm new, officially new to Howl. Um, I've been kind of behind the scenes for the last couple of years. I'm in California. Um, I have a podcast that I I put stuff out every once in a while. It's called Hunting Ain't Easy because that's how California hunting is. It ain't easy. Um, but really involved in the advocacy issues here. And California's got plenty of that to to sink our teeth, teeth, teeth into. Um, can you Tell, give us a little intro, and I'll capture this since we're recording. I'll capture the intros that you guys can give for the podcast itself. But tell me a little bit about you know who you guys are and and where you are. I know Charles knows all that, but but I don't, and I'd I'd love to learn more from you. All right, so I'm Jason Wisniewski. I'm the president of the Fur Takers of America, uh, out of Northeast Alabama. Right now, we just moved here in the last few months. Uh, moved to my wife's family farm there, so. Uh, uh, we're there, and I've been in the president of the FTA now a little over a year. And, uh, you know, of course, my day job prior to moving here, I'm now a trophy husband, I joke around about. But uh, uh, I was a freshwater mussel biologist, which I've uh, uh, been that for the last 20 years. And uh, most people aren't aware, but mussels are about the most endangered group of animals in the world. So no kidding. I think in the last, uh, probably last 20 years, I've dealt with about 65 or so endangered species been specifically in charge of the management of them so wow so you you know you know the esa inside and out then well i don't know if anybody really ever knows the esa inside and out but uh i probably know it more than most uh just because i have to deal with it a lot yeah that's fascinating very cool thank you jeff 
I'm a retired game warden. I was a game warden in Montana for about 27 years. Uh, right now, I'm the executive director of a sportsman's organization called Montana Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife. I'm also the vice president of a, a group, a collective group of uh, sportsmen's organizations, which Jason's part of as well, called Outdoor Heritage Coalition. I also serve on the Congressional Sportsman's uh, Foundation Auxiliary Caucus, um, dealing with legislative matters here in Montana. But uh, right now, the big thing for us is, as an organization is uh, ESA and how it's been weaponized in Montana um, to stop traditional things that we enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Both of you guys have a lot of experience working across multiple species and, and across state lines, with it, which I think is is powerful. I, mean, I think that's one of the most powerful things we can do as a community is bridging multiple species stakeholders across state lines and get you know all hunters, heck, even get hunters and anglers together as a community. Because at that point, we're you know we're tens of millions of people, not just small pockets of of voices that can be easily silenced matt could you throw out a little intro for, of yourself since we since we haven't met yet uh, um matt lumley i'm the president of the montana trappers association i'm the vice president of the national trappers association i'm a founding member of the outdoor heritage coalition with jeff there and then i also sit on that congressional sportsman's caucus there in, in montana so. great great Thanks for being here. Um, Charles, we know who you are. <laughs> if you guys don't mind, I, I, I think we just dive right in. Um, yep. if that's, if that's okay. I, um, Charles and I were talking the other day about the, uh, he'd posted up the, the Wolverine issue on the Howell action action center. And, um, I clicked through and I realized it was not your typical action where you, where I can plug in some narrative about my value set and what I believe should be done and, and send an email. It was, it takes us to the, I think it takes us to the, some of the more formatted government pages. Um, and so I was like, well, what's going on here? This is different. I also wanted to learn more about the 4D rule. So Charles and I were chatting back and forth about it and, and we realized we should just get you guys together. Um, for this because you're so much closer to the issue and and then we can get into the nuts and bolts of what 4d is i think a lot of people like you get too you get too much into the weeds and people's eyes glaze over but this is an important topic like how how the endangered species act works jeff as you pointed out how it how it is being weaponized and often the headline and the intended consequences are very different um, and how that affects us and how our community um, really needs to tool up and, and become more informed about what what's happening. Um, so I think at a high level, it'll just be interesting to understand like what's happening with Wolverines specifically, and then we can get into the 4D uh, nuts and bolts of the 4D rule and then what hunters can do. So I'm going to leave it to you guys there to, to talk about Wolverines and what's happening and what this legislation is or what or what the regulatory issue is at, at play. Well, I don't know who wants to go first. I, I will admit you that, are. <laughs> okay, I will admit that the other two fellows on here probably know a lot more about the ESA than I do. 
although I, I'm learning quickly about the ESA. But I'll, I'll give a brief, uh, you know, synopsis of what's gone on. Uh, the Wolverine um, has been looked at for about 20 plus years, I think about 22 years, as being a listed species on the ESA. And uh, in Montana, you haven't been able to harvest a Wolverine uh, for a decade. Um, so, you know, a lot of reasons why things are listed on the ESA is over harvest or habitat, uh, you know, degradation or what have you. But it's definitely not over harvest um, because we haven't been able to harvest wolverines for a long time. Um, and and uh, just recently, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service listed the wolverine. And attached to that listing was an interim 4D rule. And, you know, it sounds complicated. The 4D, what's the 4D? You know, it, right. it, it's just a matter of where it sits inside the uh, ESA and um Jason will be able to explain it better than I, but um, that 4D rule right now allows for incidental take, and it also allows for uh, land management practices to go on by um, managing agencies like the U.S. Forest Service and what have you, such as thinning and uh, control burns and things like that. And if you don't have it spelled out fairly clearly from what I've seen so far in the 4D rule in the listing, uh, it leaves it really open to be challenged by a lot of these, I guess I, I'll call them anti-eco-terrorist uh, organizations <laughs> to, to litigate. And like, for example, right now, Montana, the grizzly bear is a listed species. Um, and in the 4D rule, really the only thing in the 4D rule, and correct me, fellows, if I'm wrong, the only way a grizzly bear can be taken uh, as a listed species is, is as if it is in self-defense or defense mm -hmm. of a defense of another. So it, it's the opportunity when, when a species is listed to really clarify what's going to be allowed to be done. Uh, if you don't do that, it, it kind of leaves it up to um, NGOs and, and activist lawyers and, and uh, attorney or judges to tell us, what we can do and what we can't do. And mm -hmm. uh, if we don't have an attached 40 rule on this Wolverine listing and have it clearly spelt out, things such as snowmobile travel uh, in Wolverine habituated areas and uh, trapping. And uh, most recently, the grizzly bear as a listed species was used to shut down our legal wolf hunting and or wolf trapping season and they cut our season in half because of the possibility of potentially trapping a grizzly bear and uh in a wolf trap right and the definition of take um which is a big word in the esa yeah is pretty broad and uh well let's let's say a grizzly bear put his foot in a trap and lost a toenail uh but got away that's still mm -hmm. considered take by the definition of esa and um, so we we really want to make sure that people comment on the 4D rule and understand that if if we don't have a good, uh, very well worded 4D rule, we're going to be in court. And uh, right. sometimes we don't fare the best. So, yeah. So back to on the Wolverine, though. So the, the Wolverine is listed as threatened or uh, 
what's it's it's not it's not threatened it's not listed as endangered is it or did i miss yeah yes it is so yes it is listed as an endangered species not just threatened or or of concern right right okay yeah and to then add a little bit to that uh so you know basically there's two two listing statuses under the esa you can have threatened and you can have endangered and uh a threatened species is a species that's found to warrant protection but is not endangered yet. And an endangered species is one that is found to warrant protection because it is almost extinct. So, uh, you know, under the threatened category, there's a lot more latitude in, in what can be done. You know, they're both afforded the same protections, but uh, you have a lot more latitude in what can be done. Part of it's because of, of Section 4, uh, Part D of the uh, Endangered Species Act. Right. As a as a hunter that doesn't necessarily understand the the nuts and bolts of all this, I, I think myself even if I saw the headline like "We need to take action on this Wolverine issue related to the ESA," I might be like, because eh, my personal my personal limited but personal knowledge is like well, we don't see a lot of Wolverines. Like, why would I want to? throw the throw the wolverines back into like a huntable status but that's not what's at issue that's not the issue here that's not we're not we're not saying they shouldn't be on the esa they shouldn't be in a threatened status or anything like that we're talking about the the rate the restrictions that are attached to that proclamation or to that decision that then become an issue right right okay who makes the so the 4d rule applies restrictions or allows privileges and activities on the landscape and it and it can be different it, it's is the 4d rule written and crafted per species when when that species is being is put into the esa and it, and and who writes who decides the 4d rule who writes that so that's a great question so uh just to give you a little background on 4d rules so 4d is is one of those, uh, uh, I guess, pieces of latitude that the Secretary of Interior has uh, only for threatened species. A 4D rule doesn't apply to a, a species listed as endangered. And uh, basically what it does is if there's activities going on on the landscape that could result in incidental take of the, uh, uh, the species in question, the listed species, the threatened species, uh, it will uh, provide exemptions for those activities in case there is incidental take. And uh, usually uh, it's something similar to, uh, you know, you can do this, but, you know, you have to follow the rules. In the case of this 4D rule specifically, uh, you know, as long as trapping's being done within the legal confines of the jurisdiction that, that has the authority over that uh, uh, activity, then, uh, you know, if you incidentally catch one, all you have to do is call the service, report it, uh, if it's still alive, which almost all of them are, whenever they are incidentally caught, uh, you just release it, let it go on its way, and, and just let them know about it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, just one of those pieces of of, uh, of the ESA that provides, uh, you know, it, I guess it will limit the unnecessary regulatory burden that comes along with a lot of listed species uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, Nobody's exempt from it. As a uh, you know, an agency biologist for the last twenty years, I have have dealt with uh, you know uh, just listing packages. But also, whenever we have a project that we want to do, I'm working on one 
currently that uh, it's, it's a very simple project, but it could affect some listed species. And under Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act, because there's federal money involved, we have to actually go through and uh, do all the same stuff that anybody else would have to do in order for our state agency to, uh, to do those activities. Now, uh, if there were something for a species, uh, you know, a 4D rule that said, okay, uh, you know, those activities you want to do are exempt, then we wouldn't have to go through as much paperwork in order to uh, uh, carry out those conservation activities. Uh, in a lot of cases, they are conservation activities, too, that, sure. that are necessary for the conservation of that species or others. Yeah, it could be work on the habitat that that species is in that needs to happen. So is it accurate to say that the, the Fish and Wildlife Service, so it's the federal Fish and Wildlife Service, that's the agency that, that would draft the 4D? Correct. They, uh, so they'll, they'll draft the, uh, you know, there's kind of a process in listing that's uh, really come around uh, just in the last 10 or so years because of a mega petition that, uh, you know, some groups had put out there. There was over, I think it started off with over 700 species that were uh, petitioned to be listed. They whittled it down to 400, mostly in the southeastern U.S., and uh, we have been working through that most of the last, uh, since about 2011. Uh, we're still working through some of those species that the Fish wow. and Wildlife Service was sued on. And uh, so what they do is they have a process. It's all outlined in the ESA. Just well, back, um, when you say they submit, who who would submit such a monster piece of uh, work for uh, the this one in, to, in particular was the center for biological diversity uh they'd submitted it i think it was in 2011 uh you know and, and it was amazing some of the stuff on there because some of it was very very uh uh common species that i dealt with and in you know when we actually sat down and talked to them they were very agreeable to saying okay we totally understand we we see that this doesn't need listed. Okay, we'll withdraw it. So, uh, you know, they were pretty good to work with on it. And, uh, but you know, there's, there's a ton more that definitely require a lot more thought. So, yeah. uh, what you do is you go through a, uh, what they call a nine month finding. And then, uh, that sees if there's information that warrants any for, sort of further, uh, uh, analyses. And then you go into a 12 month, uh, finding, which, uh, Basically, you make the determination if something needs to be listed or not. And then, uh, you know, that usually involves what they call a species status assessment, which uh, is a fairly new process. I think it's a great process, but but that collects all the data, all the biological information, uh, basically anything you need to know about the species and summarizes it. And then, of course, all of those uh, count for climate change, which... Uh, in my experience, has been like looking into a crystal ball. You do the best you can with what you have, but, you know, mm -hmm. it's hard to say how valid a lot of it is. And then uh, once that SSA is out there, it goes on to the – usually the uh, state directors from the ecological services uh, offices in the different states that are affected, uh, usually the regional director from the Fish and Wildlife Service as well as uh, possibly the, uh, the director uh, of the service overall the uh, regions. And they sit down in a room, kind of evaluate the science, and then they ultimately uh, uh, write up the uh, the proposed listing, which is then published in the Federal Register. Then mm -hmm. after that, you know, they have uh, usually there's a comment period where the public and anybody can go and submit comments, whether that's new science or additional stuff. And uh, you know, in this case, this is the final listing, final published listing of the Wolverine. 
Okay. But it is the uh, publishing of the interim 4D rule, which the service came up with, uh, that uh, has some specific exemptions to take uh, under providing that the activities are done legally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's out for comment now. So that's what, uh, in essence, we're commenting on. We can't really, the, the commenting on the listing of the species is has been done in the past. And uh, this has been, like Jeff said, this is a, a long time issue. I think it was first proposed for listing in 2013. And yeah. uh, it's kind of gone back and forth. And then it's finally been listed uh, just in November. So the agency has the final say, but they do have this period of time where they take in public input. Can yeah, I, that's correct. Okay. So like a lot of times, like with commission, I was just sitting through a California fishing game commission committee hearing and you know, at the commission level here at state level commission level, they take in the social science, they take in people's feelings, they pay, take in anecdotes, they take in data and they mix it all up and hopefully they come up with a good balanced outcome that is, you know, pro opportunity. Yeah, um, usually as they're, uh, as they're writing those SSAs as well, species status assessments, yeah. uh, you know, it, there's a number of stakeholders that are involved in that. So you okay. usually have the state agency biologists, uh, you know, usually some folks from the fish and wildlife service that are over those species or deal with them in their respective States. And then you'll have, uh, uh, any other experts. There could be university staff that have worked with them. It could be, you know, basically anybody that has a stake in there that, that uh, you know, can provide some scientific background into it. Uh, Got it. But is the, the is Fish and Wildlife Services, are they kind of agnostic to, to people's value statements? Like, I'm for hunting. I'm against hunting. Do they, do they remove themselves from that? And does that, or are they susceptible to those arguments? Or are they just really focus on the data and, and create the minimum, the minimum restrictions required to achieve success. Like how, how susceptible is fish and wildlife to, to public steering that takes them to an extreme outcome? In most cases, what I've seen anyway, they, they seem to uh, really go by what's in the data. Uh, you know, and of course, the one thing that I have found through the years is it varies quite a bit among regions. Okay. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, like here in the Southeast, I deal with freshwater mussels. I've mentioned, uh, uh, you know, a lot of our waters, you can't even go fishing in without stepping on an endangered mussel. Uh, so, you know, by, by definition of the law, technically nobody would be allowed to walk in these streams or rivers that would have that because that would be considered take. But, uh, you know, you go wow. into other places and, uh, you know, it's, it's very, we'll say it's very liberal here on what you can do. But in other states, I've heard them totally, uh, you know, other regions, I guess I'll say, uh, interpret that totally different uh, for some species. So it's, it's kind of something there is a little bit of interpretation. I don't know if I'd say bias, but uh, certainly uh, variability among regions on how they handle different situations like that. And, uh, and of yeah. course, we always say, you know, if it's cute and fuzzy, well, it gets all the attention. But if it's, you know, a slimy fish or something, then nobody cares about it as much. Right. Now. Right. So. Matt and Jeff, um, with the Wolverine, so the endangered status is established. This is all about the 4D rule. Is the 4D rule written in a way that you guys there that are in, 
you know, in the environment on, you know, on the landscape, is the 40 rule written right now in a way that you are supportive of, or is it being, is it, is, has it been pushed to a point where it's now being weaponized against hunting? Well, I'll try to interject here. Um, currently, I think it's, it, it's somewhat helpful. But, you know, let's cut to the chase. I mean, Wolverines are doing better now than they were 30 years ago. And they first petitioned Wolverine, Wolverines in 1994, 29 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the push to lift these Wolverines was from entities that stand to benefit financially from suing under the Equal Access to Justice Act. Mm-hmm. You and I can jump on a plane. We can go to Alaska. We can hunt wolverines. We can trap wolverines. You can go all over Canada, Russia. They're not endangered. We're at the very southern end of their range. Mm -hmm. And this entire push is about control and shutting uses down, whether it be ranching, farming, mining, timber, trapping. And that's what makes this 4D rule so so important. I actually did a podcast with the Western Western Caucus uh, in Congress here a few weeks ago with Chairman Newhouse and Ryan Zinke. And if you check in Congress now, they've just dropped a uh, piece of legislation that pretty much emphasizes the 4D ruling because it's critical. Mm-hmm. Right now, they can use it to shut down every use, whether it be snowmobiling or or anything else. Right. So, you know, the Endangered Species Act has been weaponized. This isn't about the Wolverine. This is about researchers that stand to benefit financially. This is about NGOs that are going to sue to shut uses down. And it wasn't right. necessary, but we are right. here. So the, the 4D rule is absolutely critical. Is the current draft of the 4D rule on the Wolverine issue, is it, is it, does it enable a broad enough, you know, use that it's truly just about the Wolverine or is it, is it already written in a way that's going to impact other public land uses, hunting, other trapping uses, things like that? I'll yield to Jason because I don't, I haven't dived into it deep enough, but I know without it, you know, so the Wolverine is the grizzly bear on steroids because they don't go to sleep. Right. So every use could be in jeopardy if this doesn't go through the right way. Yeah. When I was talking to Charles about it, he, he, he called out like, oh yeah. So they shut down. They don't have to say we're going to make the trapping illegal. We're going to make snowmobiling illegal in the area, which means you can't get out to your traps if you're a trapper or, you know, just they, they, they find some other secondary, secondary tertiary use that then basically cuts off the, the opportunity to do, you know, that way they don't have to come out and say what they're really trying to shut down, but they do end up shutting it down. And earlier you had said, you know, you'd look at this and you'd wonder, well, why would I weigh in? And the reason you'd weigh in is because the result of this listing is going to basically lead to wasteful agenda-driven litigation where limited conservation dollars are used in court rather than on the ground and the public gets locked out every single use is in jeopardy hiking photography you name it yeah yeah people people don't understand and i think this distilling out to that point is is critical um what what's another what's another example where the ESA has been weaponized, Je- Jeff, I think you mentioned with the Grizzlies, like right. what's how, what were the mechanics on that and what's yeah, the just, outcome? Just recently, the Kootenai National Forest, which is in northwest Montana, 
put out for comment, um, they, they, they wanted to shut down uh, over the snow or motorized travel, uh, okay. snowmobiling in grizzly denning areas because grizzlies are on the endangered species list. And it came out as, you know, we need to not snowmobile in grizzly denning areas. Um, I've never heard of that before. I mean, the whole time the grizzly bear has been uh, listed, I've never heard of that being done. And right. and it was put out for comment. And I'm not sure where, where it is right now, but uh, that's the use of a, a listed species to try to control other activities. And there's a, a lot of these NGOs that don't like hunting, they don't like trapping, um, they're looking for any tool they can to limit or thwart that ability. And if you can't snowmobile, um, you know, in Western Montana, you're not going to run a trap line in the mountains. Uh, mm -hmm. you're not, you're not going to probably hunt with hounds in a lot of cases. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, it's kind of, a, I don't know, in run, I guess, so to speak, to try to to stop what they really want to stop and that's that's trapping right what so what was the outcome of that um attempt you know using the over snow i'm not, I'm not sure where, i'm not sure what the outcome has been yet because it, it's it, the comment period just ended so i, I i'm sure they're weighing what okay. they, what they need to do but and, and so are they seeking a that's not in court that's they're trying oh. to get the 4d rule amended that's yeah that's their rulemaking ability okay um, as a land management agency so w when a species is listed um you know it's it's kind of it's really clear in the endangered species act what you can and can't do towards that species but it's up to the land management agencies to uh make rules to benefit that species mm -hmm. or protect that species mm -hmm. and and those rules aren't necessarily spelled out in the esa and that's that's a real problem because uh most most of us don't pay attention to that stuff uh, mm -hmm. that much and so it, it can happen and we're just standing there going what <laughs> so um yeah but that's so, just one, that's just one example but you know, a weaponization of an endangered species, it, the most classic example, just happened in Missoula, Montana, and that was with our wolf trapping season. Mm -hmm. um, our wolf trapping season, and and our, I have to say, even though I don't like it, uh, our state management agency had what they call a floating trap date. And generally, the wolf season would open up uh, the first Monday after um, Thanksgiving, Okay, but, but uh, all grizzly bears aren't necessarily hibernating by then. So what they do on the floating trap date is they kind of wait until they feel very comfortable that a large majority of grizzly bears are in hibernation. Mm -hmm. and it may it instead of being able to trap like December first, you may not be able to start trapping wolves till the end of December, and they've been very meticulous about that. Mm -hmm. um, to, to, to prevent incidental catch on grizzly bears. And uh, I think that shows, you know, that Montana takes it seriously and they're managing it for that. But even with that, um, you know, a couple NGOs brought a lawsuit and said, you know, we don't want, we don't want any trapping 
at all because we think grizzly bears can be caught. And if a grizzly bear is caught, it's considered a take. And do they bring that to rulemaking or they bring that to a court? They brought it to a court. They brought it to a federal judge here in, in Missoula. And they present so much. How, how, do they have data or is it just, uh, yeah, it's, they, it's they, truly just like on the, we yeah, think went, this might happen. I went to that hearing and um, each side had 30 minutes to present their case to the judge. And I'm sure they, they sent in uh, briefs to the sure. court as well. But each side had 30 minutes to present their case. And, um, you know, the judge, you know, it, these judges are appointed by political parties. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have a, and I, I'll call him an activist judge, that's mm -hmm. exactly what it is. Um, the judge that made the ruling in this case is, is retired, but he's retired in place, so to speak. I don't know what the term is. He can come mm -hmm. off the bench and pick and choose which, which cases he wants to rule on. <laughs> and he has a tendency to like to rule on any extraction, logging, or endangered species cases. So if, if you want to challenge a, you know, sue over a, an action on endangered species, he's the right. judge that these NGOs go to, or one wow. of the judges, you know. So <clears throat> he made the ruling, and then our state wildlife agency, uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, has appealed that decision to the Ninth Circuit. And that was just heard last week in front of a panel of three judges. And they're going to make a ruling. They'll either, either overturn Malloy's decision or agree with his decision. Mm -hmm. If they overturn his decision, I think the wolf season will be back to what it was. But, uh, you know, it's a heck of a game to have to play. And that's the scary thing about the Wolverine listing. Right. The, only, the only reason that liberal judge um, – allowed any wolf trapping was grizzly bears hibernate like like matt lumley said uh, wolverines don't hibernate so right. the very same excuse that was used with the definition of take by a wolf trapper potentially trapping a grizzly is there for wolverine as well yeah. and it's not just it's not just wolf trappers it's martin trappers bobcat trappers coyote trappers it's all sure. those it's all of those trappers and as a game warden for nearly 30 years occasionally it happens yeah and without, without the, the incident Car, cars crash too but yes. we're still we're still driving right. down the freeway exactly and uh so it's like without that kind of spelled out allowing for incidental take by a legal trapper who's following the loop the law uh, without that in there we're susceptible to litigation in front of a, a judge like I just mentioned. Yeah. And as Matt pointed out, that just takes, well, Hey, I don't know if our, I don't know if our community has really developed the, uh, the legal side as well as the anti-hunting industry has. I, I'm sure the anti-hunting industry has 10 times more lawyers than, than they do biologists. Um, and, and we're, cool. we're the inverse. We have more biologists than we have attorneys. So it's just a waste of resources, and it's not a skill set that we have really developed that well. Um, yeah. Matt, what are we going to say? Well, we haven't. We haven't developed legally. And, and so mm -hmm. this is where this comes full circle, and I, I just wrote an article about it. So I live in Paradise Valley, Montana, 20 miles north of Yellowstone National Park. There were two fly fishermen that had to shoot grizzlies in self-defense this summer. Mm -hmm. There were half a dozen bow hunters that had to shoot 
Grizzlies. There were yep. two Grizzly bears hit by cars in the last few years on Highway 89. Now, the federal judge didn't weigh in that we're going to shut fly fishing down till January 1st to February 15th. And I don't know how you would fly fish through the ice and really don't care. Right. But those were actual takes. We haven't had a documented incidental take of a grizzly by a trapper in a decade. And we actually had fly fishermen that killed bears. Yeah. And cars. That's why the sports community needs to be aware of this. I mean, it's everyone gets locked out when this comes full circle. And that's why these 4D rules are so important. Yeah. I would think that the over snow community, the people that, that, you know, run snowmobiles and tracked vehicles just, just, just for, just like the overlanding community would, would, would see this as a real infringement on their public lands access. Um, but I don't know if this gets into their, like, if this gets across their radar until it's a done deal. Um, you know, how do we, how do we get that community involved in things like this? So the, it sounds like the, the opportunity is, is right now to provide public input. Um, and we'll assume that the anti-hunting industry is sending their all their all their messages and whatnot to to try to make the 4D as least you know have have as few protections as possible. Um, what what do we what do we need to do? We've we've got the action up on the action center at Howell. Um, Charles, can you describe like this action is different than our normal actions at Howell? Usually, I can just log in and edit my message, hit send, and I know it goes to the four, five commissioners or the 10 Senate committee members. Um, can you describe, Charles, how this one's different and how, while it looks different, it, it, it you know, it's still functional and, and how Howell members and anybody else that cares about this, how we get this thing out in front of the Oversnow community and, and maybe they can weigh in. You know, this is something where we need to bridge some audiences, but Charles, how's it work? So because it's, um, going to the going through the regulatory process um they have it set up where it's not just an email there's no email to 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 deliver the messages to you have to go through Mm -hmm. them however and jeff knows about this because he's been on me for like a month and a half or something to get this action up and i've been hoping our software would be done by now because our software when it is completed we will be able to use the traditional Howl platform to comment on regulatory items. Uh, we can fill it all, all, all out on Howl and it'll it'll send it all. But that's not there yet. So right now you just have to go to the form. Um, and and that, is that, that form is available though on the Howl Action Center? Yeah, so you have to go for looking it. for it. it. Yeah, it links. You go to the same action and you'll have a link okay. that brings you to it now. Also on there, there's, you know, a write-up about what's happening um, here, what we're talking about here. I'll put this podcast on there now. But there's also, I think I had 10 kind of talking points that mm-hmm. people can, can use uh, to develop their comments. And um, you can copy and paste that and put that into the comments when you're filling out the, the form uh, for the uh, approval of, of the 4D. Um, so it's still still super simple and this also isn't just for for one thing endangered when something's on the endangered species list that's that's uh that's national um so 
everybody it it does affect everybody now wolverines their habitat is not in every state but they are in uh, you guys can correct me if i'm wrong obviously montana i believe idaho would fall under that uh, maybe wyoming i don't know but um there is also a bill i don't think it has come out yet but it will be in the coming weeks i believe to reintroduce wolverines into colorado mm-hmm So the same thing applies. Without the 4D rule, that's going to screw up, well, let's just call it worst case scenarios, public access. Anywhere where there's wolverine habitat, public access could be threatened um, if it's just left up to a judge. With the 4D, that protects the current legal recreational activities uh, that are happening currently in wolverine habitat that have, to my knowledge, a little effect on wolverines. Um, as as uh, Matt said, wolverines are doing better now than they have in decades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and people are still snowmobiling, people are still trapping, people are still skiing, right. people are still fishing, you know, whatever. Uh, so that's why it's so important to submit your comment uh, on this 4D rule for 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 everybody, really. Yeah, Charles, public, this is a public access issue. It is. So Wolverines have expanded their range into Washington, Oregon, and some of Wyoming. And for the first time in decades, they've been documented in Utah, Colorado, and California. Okay, well yeah, I'd heard Portland. about I'd heard about California. What about Michigan? Yeah, I believe, Michigan Wolverines. I believe the Wolverines in the Upper Peninsula yet? I believe I the uh, documented record in California was in the Yosemite Valley, too. So it's not just Northern yeah. California. If there's one in that Central was... California, there's more than one. <laughs> it's wild. And I believe that was committed by the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. So that's, that's wild. It's a pretty substantial list in the West. And they travel so far, their range is, is huge. That's cool. We'll have wolverines too. We'll have wolverines and and wolves, and I'm sure there's gonna be a grizzly bear in California in the next five years to further screw up our, <laughs> our situation. Deadline. The deadline for this is in ten days. It's this is the sixteenth okay. of January. The deadline is is the twenty sixth of January to get these to get these comments in. Also, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. So the action is quick. Were there two links there, or is it one link? Is it just one link that that they that they need to click through on, and then they kind of scroll and they hit a? There's like specific item numbers that we're asking them to to support within the the deal. No, that's the that's that was the caribou ruling where there was. Okay, thank you. Kind of the same process, but thank you. At the same time, no, totally separate. This is this okay. is one. This is four D. That's it. Okay. Good. I I have a feeling that this is not the first um, endangered species act type issue. It's not the last. Um, I, I mean, it's not the first. It's definitely not the last that we as a community are going to be putting out a call for help from. Um, but yeah, this is very much. I don't trap. I'm not in Montana. I don't do over snow activities, but I can absolutely see how the use of of the ESA in this situation can completely turn upside down public access, other hunting opportunities. Um, and this is where no matter where you are, 
in the U.S. It's something that our voices need to be heard to to keep this in place. Um, what other thoughts you guys have, Jason? What you got? Well, I was just going to add to some of that. So, uh, you know, I had uh, submitted my comments a week or so ago, but uh, in doing all the research, reading through the status assessment, and then, uh, of course, delving into some of the literature, published literature uh, elsewhere, you know, and of course, you know, wolverines are not exclusive to the United States. You know, they're found around the world. Uh, I think it's a different subspecies, but, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, they can't be all that much different. But, uh, you know, one of the big factors, there was at least a couple papers that had shown that, uh, you know, wolves can have a pretty substantial impact on wolverines. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, one reason this 4D is so important for management of, uh, uh, you know, for management of trapping or being able to do that. And we know all, all the wolf issues up in, in uh, Idaho and over in uh, Montana and elsewhere and uh, the, the effect they've had on the elk. And, uh, of course, trapping is one of the ways, as Jeff mentioned, and, uh, you know, that we control those populations. But uh, those same wolves could be causing problems with the wolverines as well, uh, according to some of the literature and some of the stuff they found in Scandinavian countries. Uh, what they found is as your wolf population increases, the uh, pack sizes increase as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, wolverines, they do kill some stuff, but but by and large, they do a lot of scavenging too. And uh, they make or take advantage of those, those wolf kills. Uh, hmm. And if you have a bigger pack size, they tend to consume more of the meat off the carcass. There's less for the Wolverines. Uh, so they kind of get into this competition with them. And, uh, you know, and, and they say, you know, under low, low wolf densities, well, wolves can be good for Wolverines because they have more, more carry on and uh, the scavenging they can do. But under the high cases, that's whenever you get these issues. And, uh, you know, if anybody's, you know, listeners aren't, aren't aware that, uh, you know, the last estimate I saw from the Foundation for Wildlife Management showed that the wolf population is about 307% above what the management goal was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, kind of an overpopulation. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder to some extent if, uh, you know, if the wolves are having much of an impact on these wolverines. And that's not really been discussed much in the SSA or the listing. And, uh, you know, so that's another one of those things that, that could come down to uh, being very important for the management. You know, the trapping of the wolves could be very important for the management of the wolverine as well. So that's another critical critical point that needs to be considered. And that's something I'd put in my uh, my comments. But a lot of the over the, the you know, the over the snow use, uh, you know, that's really important in order to get in and do meaningful trapping. And uh, yep. so it's kind of this cascading effect of everything uh, being connected and and uh, you start, you know, limiting one factor and that just limits your ability to do a lot of the other stuff. And, uh, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, I've, I've seen where some of the decisions we make as wildlife managers, it's, it's done with the right intentions. But unfortunately, there's some sort of consequence that we weren't aware of it, that happens. And, uh, you know, and that happens anytime you get man involved in trying to manage something that was was created perfectly, basically. And uh, so. Yeah. So if, if the 4D rule is intact the way we hope it is, is, is that, does that prevent the lawsuits or does it just make, does it put up, does it not make the lawsuits as inevitable? Because it sounds like if it's not there, then it 
it's like a blank slate that is just left up to citizens and lawyers and judges to fight over. Well, well I suspect you could probably sue for anything. Uh, whether you know you can actually get anywhere with it's the other right the other side of it, and that's what this four D rule, in my opinion, would uh would help out with. So being prescriptive and supportive is the best case. Yeah, I think that would be fair to okay. fair to say. Matt, what are you gonna say? Out of trappers aren't gonna want to trap because if they accidentally catch a wolverine, you know, and they can be they can then be prosecuted. Right. Because that falls under take. Right? Unless unless the four D allows for that incidental take and right. that use. Well Got it. and what it would really come down to is then it would be whatever group suing the Fish and Wildlife Service who would have to get on the state wildlife agency that gets mm -hmm. on the, uh, you know, basically oversees the trapping regulations. And uh, they would have to write some sort of regulations that would say, okay, this is what you have to do to mitigate that to keep from happening. Or, hmm. or and, you know, ultimately, uh, hey, you're not allowed to trap anymore. And, uh, you know, that's how that normally goes. And, you know, the kind of the thing that, that holds it all all out there is the uh, Section 6 of the Endangered Species Act, which is the cooperation between the states and the, the Fish and Wildlife Service. So uh, because those states get Pittman-Robertson funding and, and everything else, they really can't harm endangered species or allow for any sort of take mm -hmm. that's not in compliance with that listing. And if so, they could lose potential. Actually, I think it's even more than just their wildlife funding it could be all federal funding if they're not in compliance under uh under that so yeah Matt, well, i think what one of you guys said like these are these organizations they don't care about the wolverine at this point like the data is there the wolverine's doing better they care about the secondary and additional impacts that they can have on just hunting and outdoors use um and that's that's where the Endangered Species Act gets weaponized, manipulated, um, and just really ruins everybody's attitude toward it. Because I know a lot of hunters have a bad attitude about the ESA. It'd be great if the ESA was actually there to to support populations that need support, bring them back, and then get them off the ESA without all of this stuff. Um, but that's because of this because of this this way that they attack it and weaponize it. Um, it gives gives a lot of folks a, a kind of a bitter a bitter view of the entire you know the entire package. Uh, uh, Matt, if I could add to that, yeah. uh, real quick is some of these NGOs that are are really focused on uh, getting the wolf, the gray wolf, relisted in Montana. They've come right out and said, you know, in their own communications that you know they're using the grizzly bear protect the wolf and mm -hmm. that and that's that's what i mean by weaponization mm -hmm. uh, these groups will go use a listed species to shut down an area and their real intention isn't to shut it down for grizzly bears or to shut it down for wolverines those particular groups want to shut down to keep people from going in there to trap wolves so right. you know it's it's they use that uh, that, hence the term weaponization to uh, do other things. To me, it's dishonest and manipulative. I mean, I, I think I think so many of the anti-hunting industry 
platform is built on on some uh it's a flawed intellectual approach like if you were to take everything that they say and just map it out like it's broken intellectually and factually it just breaks everywhere but nobody challenges them and that's obviously what what we're all here for is we need to start putting friction into that into into it and start start showing how these issues are broken and really they're manipulating the the, the public they're manipulating the, the 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 viewpoints and the sentiment of of people that otherwise wouldn't know better um which well, as a voter that's... like i i think you know at some point more people will become dissatisfied with the fact that their views are being manipulated by dishonesty at least i'm, I'm optimistic about that matt what you got well you just hit it and we could do a whole nother podcast on this one topic the esa yeah. is its 50th anniversary it's the hotel california where a species can check out but can never leave <laughs> what we put for is a clear concise method of existing not subject to judicial review mm-hmm Get it out of the courts altogether and let our wildlife professionals handle it. And by that, I mean when a species goes on the list, you have clear, concise recovery goals. And when you hit this number, that animal is delisted, not subject to judicial review. We need a redefinition of take to mean adversely affect the sustainability or the survivability of the species. Grizzly bears are not endangered. You can hit one with a car, that one animal isn't irrelevant but it doesn't affect the sustainability or the survivability of the species therefore you don't shut the use down you try to minimize minimize incidental take and then we need to look at it none of us want anything to go extinct panda bears are endangered black-footed endangered you and i can jump on a plane and go hunt a grizzly bear in alaska tomorrow that's not an endangered species there's wolverines all over Russia. You can get on there and Google those. There's like, I saw 17 to 20 of them on, on one deal. Just get on get on that supercomputer you got in your hand and Google wolverines in Russia. <laughs> but, you know, we need to push for Common Sense Endangered Species Act reform. Congress yeah. has the ability to do this because this has been weaponized. And these groups, when we go up against them, they have a team of attorneys that sit there and look to litigate, and they get paid under the Equal Access to Justice Act. Yep. So it has been weaponized, and it has nothing to do with the benefit of the spe- species. I think everyone on this call cares about wolverines. We don't yeah. want them to go extinct, but that's yep. not what's happening. They didn't need listed at all. This is a this is an activist action, not a not a necessary biological action. Yeah, I, that's why I don't even call them animal rights activists. I call them the anti-hunting industry. Because if they were really in favor of animal rights, you'd see them put a couple dollars into habitat. They don't do jack squat for habitat. They don't do anything proactive for actual animals and critter populations. Um, they come at they come at everything from a reducing, you know, intrinsically human activities and moving people off the landscape. Um, I, I think they're anti-human more than they are. They're anti-human and anti-hunting. Um, so I don't even give them the blessing of calling them animal rights activists. Um, so, all right. So when, when is this comment period over? The 26th of January? Actually, it's the 29th. But... 29th? Okay. Yeah. Um, some some folks in, in the community might be inclined to jump comment more than once does it does it does it is there value in that does it enable that does it does it disable that do we care 
No, that's actually something. That's a great point. I know there's been some concern about, you know, the number of comments that have been submitted and stuff. And, uh, you know, essentially what the service is going to do is they're going to take all those comments uh, over the next year. They're going to compile them all. Anything that's, you know, your typical form letters that a lot of a lot of groups have, they're just mm-hmm. going to compile them all under one. You know, it'll be, you know, we receive this comment or you receive that one. So, you know, if, if there's 10,000 comments and 999, uh, you know, 100 of them are uh, same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, the same thing. It's going to be yeah. recorded as one comment, and then they're okay. going to draft it. The service will go in and say, this is why we don't agree with this, or, hey, we've we thought about that, and we've reflected that in the final final listing and uh, or the final 4D rule. So, uh, Got it. Well, I'm not going to okay. plagiarize your letter then, Jason. <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> you I would encourage everybody to, you know, use a uh, – you know, think about the whole process and the whole, like the totality of it, because there's aspects that I've probably missed. And, you know, and I'm in, like I said, I'm in Alabama. Uh, I've been out in Montana and Wyoming and the Wolverines uh, range, I think one or two times in my entire life. And uh, I would love to see one someday, but you know, probably it's not going to happen unless I'm out there specifically trying to find one. And, uh, yeah, you know, so rather than, uh, you know, take everything I have, you know, the people that live out there that deal with it every day are the ones that really need to think about how they can be impacted and, uh, and make their comments. You know, there's stuff that I probably totally missed just because that's not, not my backyard to where I have to live in it every day. Yeah. Well, the, the action center for Howl, Charles, you've got a dozen or so snippets of, 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 uh, language, you know, information about the issue. And I think it's it's when people hear this this conversation, I think they're going to have the what they need to go to the action center, find a couple of those those dialogue points that resonate with them, and then just craft a really short note and send it. Um, and if if we do that, and it, people put put a little bit of their personal voice into it, and the importance of the 4D rule being in place, then it's not going to be one one voice from one place. It's going to be hundreds of different voices, hopefully. So I think that's I think that's what we need people to do. And between your between the coalition that you guys have across state lines, Fur Trappers of America, Howl for Wildlife. Hopefully, we can get this out to, into enough people's hands um, via email and and social media shares and stuff like that, to where you know we drive a thousand or or ten thousand comments. Um, it's a little more nuanced than than just the quick, you know action item that we've got but i think this is worthwhile i also think this is good practice because we're going to be matt like you talked about reform of the esa um 100 agree with you and that is another podcast that we should do and i know there's stakeholders out there that want to see the esa reformed for exactly the way you're talking about so i think this is where we all need to start dip, dipping our toes into the into the water here and, and getting familiar with the issues and this is a perfect one to jump off on and 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 support um while we become more familiar with the the endangered species act that's a great point uh so i'd mentioned about that mega petition several years ago and there mm-hmm. are still species all through the country that are being considered for listing all the time and um mm-hmm. several of those do have the potential to affect what we're going to be you know, our, I guess the hunting, the fishing, the trapping industry, uh, you know, our, our side of the, uh, uh, spectrum there. So it's something that everybody should, 
yep. should be familiar with and, uh, you know, get used to this process because it might be a little more, uh, especially I think now, you know, the weaponization, it's been going on for a while, but they're certainly having some success. So, you know, if you have a good thing going for you, why not keep on doing it? So I don't expect them to lay off unless we, uh, we start having right. success on the science end of things and, and winning for the right reasons. Well, that's my goal is we make it so those attorneys make it. So it's a little harder for them to, to get traction on these issues. And the more we can take some, some, you know, some wind out of their sails, um, add some friction to what they've got to do, then, then maybe they won't be as empowered and they won't come at so many things that, that they are right now. Any closing thoughts, Jeff, Matt? What do you guys? What do you guys think? No, I've enjoyed the Go ahead, Matt. I've enjoyed the podcast. I, I feel like it, there's a lot of good stuff that came out, and I appreciate it. Yeah, Matt, you mentioned a couple resources. Something that you just wrote in another podcast that you were just on about this issue. What are those? What are those resources that people should plug into? So it's the Western Caucus, okay. and it's on Spotify. Um, it's about a 17 minute podcast and it's with Congressman Newhouse, who is the chair of the Western caucus. And then our former SEAL team six commander, Ryan Zinke, who is our Congressman. Mm -hmm. And we've got broad, broad support on that. Uh, Cynthia Lummis chairs it on the Senate side and she, she made a statement on this and this is becoming an issue. People it's on people's radar because it has been weaponized and there's some key things that we can do, but Please comment on the 4D rule. That's what we can do today. Nice. Thank you. Jeff? Yeah, in, in closing, I'll, I'll tell you the, the latest example I've heard of uh, the ESA being weaponized was just today on, on TV. Um, I guess it, it's the white whale. Um, they uh, want to limit, limit the speed of boats to avoid strikes on the white whale. Well, also by limiting the speed of boats, it's going to uh, <laughs> demolish the fishing industry in that neck of the world. And again, that's how the ESA is weaponized. Because they can't get out. Like if they, you can't go can't from point A to point B, it's a yeah. certain rate of speed. You're just not going to go. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So. Jesus. Wow. It's crazy. It's frustrating. But um, you know, there's a there's a there's an industry. And a group of people that are good at this, and they've made it their—they've made it their job to shut this stuff down. Um, and they don't—I don't—I don't think they really care about the the, the wildlife. I'm not—I'm not convinced that they even care about the wildlife that are at the the focal point of this. So, appreciate you guys' time. Um, thank you so much, Matt. We're going to come back to the ESA several times, so I'm going to hit you up on that. Uh, but we'll list a link in the show notes, and um, when we share this out, we'll list a link to that podcast as well to to help help make sure we kind of cross pollinate everything here. Charles, thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Yep. Fantastic, Jeff, Jason, Matt, thank you for your time on that. We've got links in the show notes to the respective organizations you guys all work with and are leaders with. So thank you for your work there. Uh, listening in, everybody, please go to howforwildlife.org, click on to the, uh, the action center and click through on this Wolverine 4D rule issue. Uh, the more our voices are heard by the Fish and Wildlife Service, the stronger our position is going to be in the maintenance of that 4D rule. 
And as we discussed in the conversation today, the 4D rule is an integral part to protecting rights and uses and hunting on our public lands when the Endangered Species Act is engaged. So we can't turn back and the debate isn't about the wolverine being listed or not. The issue is the 4D rule and making sure it's supported and maintained and it's part of this listing. Hal for Wildlife. Thanks everybody.